Morning, everybody. One thing I, I really enjoyed uh, about the conference in, in some ways that we were just up in Auckland was actually the talking between people. And, you know, and, and when you talk about different things, you actually learn a lot from each other. And the same thing with what you hear on Sundays here, when you talk and when you, you know, contend for truth, something really starts to transact in here. And it's not about just hearing something and walking away from it. It's actually about taking it deeper into your life, just as Greg was saying. So we need to be able to take those things and build it in here into our spirit man. In fact, uh, I even met some people I haven't seen in donkey's years here. It was really quite, quite amazing. But anyway, what I'm speaking about this morning is why are we here? Or I could put it another way, why are we sitting here? Have you ever thought about that? That's a good thing to think about, really, isn't it? Have you ever thought about, what am I doing? What, what's the purpose of my life here? You know, what am I doing? We're going to come back to that in just a minute. But, you know, over the last month or so, we've actually talked about sonship and how important it is to have a revelation of who we are in Christ, sons and daughters of the living God. I mean, have you ever thought about this? What an incredible privilege it is to be adopted into his family as sons and daughters. Not as slaves, not as orphans or anything like that, but as sons and daughters of the living God. Isn't that amazing? What a privilege that is. You know, he didn't choose us because of our education. He didn't choose us because of the money in our bank account. He didn't choose us because of our good looks. I don't quite come into that category, but <laughs> the thing is this, God didn't choose us for anything else at all except purely because he loves us. He loves us. What an incredible thing. And when you allow his love to be able to come in and saturate you, it changes your world. Because I remember when I got saved, I got slain in the spirit. This is the first time I encountered God. I'd never seen slain in the Spirit before because I'd never seen it before. I'd never been in that situation. But the power of God hit me and I was flat out on the floor. And I felt God's love wash over me. I thought he was a harsh judge. I thought he was distant. I thought he was somewhere out there. But I experienced his love and it changed my life. And that's who he is. Sadly, many Christians never or partially live in that reality. And they miss out on the incredible inheritance that we have as sons and daughters. Greg was saying just uh, last week, remember that example that he gave about the money machine? Imagine having a million dollars or a trillion dollars in your bank account. You've got the card to go in there. You've got the PIN number to draw money out. As much as you want, whenever you want, but you never actually go to the machine. You never access them. You never do it. You know, it's the same in the spirit. We have so much available to us. How often we remain spiritually poor because we never access what God has for us. You know, our heavenly father wants the best for his kids, just like an earthly father for their, our kids. I want the best for my kids. And our heavenly father wants the best for us as well. But we need to enter into that. And God's desire for us in this season is to discover who we are through revelation and it only comes through intimacy with the Father. 
as you heard uh, those were at the conference, the, the primary mission of Jesus was to reveal the heart of the Father towards us. Everything he did, everything he said, the miracles that he did was revealing the Father to us of a God who loves and cares. Sadly, as I said, many in the church never come into that reality, into that fullness of what that means. And instead, we live our lives like orphans instead of sons and daughters. To be honest, we've all suffered from that orphan syndrome. I know I have. We all have in some way. It's interesting. Sometimes I even find myself fluctuating between the orphan spirit and the sonship spirit. And I'll tell you what that is in a few moments. The dictionary describes an orphan as one who is bereaved of one or both parents. Usually parents are replaced by an institution. I was thinking about this the other day and I thought, you know, the church has become like an institution. It's become like a, a big organization that's cold, that's, that's, that's lost its warmth. And what it's done is it's birthed a whole lot of orphans. It's just churned them out all over the churches, all throughout the world. And it lacks fathers and it lacks sons and daughters. That's what God's capturing our hearts back. He didn't design us to be orphans. He designed us to be sons. I mean, can you imagine us loving the church? Can you imagine hugging the church? I love you, church. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine... You know, hugging the chairs and things like that. That's not the church. We are the church. There's warmth out of us. If I was to give Sandra a hug here, there's warmth. There's love that flows from here. You know what I mean? There's, there is something about us, not a building, that makes a big difference. The orphan spirit sees things differently, and operates out of a different mindset. I'll just explain just a few of them. They see God as a master. It's this master and slave thing. They don't see him as a father. They see him as a judge, harsh, cold, distant. They live by the love of the law. The orphan spirit uh, strive for praise and the approval or the acceptance of man. They try and impress God or have no other, or on the opposite extreme, they have no motivation at all. It's about duty and earning God's favor. Often they suffer from self-rejection. How many people have suffered from self-rejection? I know I have. Because they're constantly comparing themselves with others. They can become jealous towards others' success. Gosh, I've been in the church a lot longer than, than them. And suddenly they're, they're doing this? How many times have we had that attitude? Let's be honest. <laughs> it's there. We often get caught up in the busyness of doing church or hyper-religious activity. We're afraid to let go of what we have in case we lose it all. You know, there's a lot of different things there. And if we're honest, I've been there at times. I grew up in a, in a very good family. It was a large family. But uh, my father struggled with work. I mean, he had, he had a, a job like that. But the it, you know, the pay wasn't coming in. Well, it was coming in. But we had to manage it, you know what I mean? It was a difficult time at times. But we were a happy, contented family. And we had to make do with less. But you know, that mentality that I had was, oh gosh, 
If I let go of something, what's going to happen? We're going to lose out. You know that thing of holding on to things instead of letting go. And God's had to really work on me. And sometimes I fluctuate in between that fear of lack and the remembering that God provides for everything. He's a father. See what I mean? How we fluctuate when fear comes around and our eyes get off something else? We can fluctuate. But I've tasted of what it is to be a son. I've tasted his love. I've tasted his acceptance. I've tasted, you know, I don't have to earn acceptance. I'm already accepted. I find, you know, I'm already loved. I'm blessed. I'm never alone. He never leaves me. Even though sometimes I may feel that he's not around me, I know he's there. And he's shown me so much more. He's always there. But I find that when my eyes wander off him, I slip back into that old way of thinking, that orphan spirit. But God didn't create us to be that. He created us as sons and daughters to know the security and the love that he has for us. And the nation is full of the orphan spirit, which is causing significant blockages, preventing many from entering this current move of God. And God wants to break that orphan spirit off the church. And birth people into the truth, or bring people into the truth and the newfound freedom of who he created us to be. Man, when you're secure in his love, you don't feel that insecurity. There's a steadiness and a stableness about who you are. So to help us this morning, I want to show you an incredible story of four men. Four men who were just sitting there. They were lepers. They were stuck in a rut, going nowhere. However, one day, they asked an important question. Why are we here? Why are we sitting here? I wonder if those volunteers that I asked would come up, please. (laughs) Interesting. Here they were, sitting. Sitting. And just for a change, they were sitting, (laughs) sitting, doing nothing but sitting there. I want us to turn to 2 Kings. Let's pick it up. 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 1. 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 1. Then Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, a a sephith of uh, fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two seeths of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Now verse 3 says, Now there were four leprous men at the gate, the, the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? Good question. If we say we will enter that city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we shall also die. Now therefore come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall only die. Verse 5. And they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their response, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots, the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. And so they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. And therefore they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp 
intact. What an incredible story. Let's paint the picture. Here was the enemy. The, the Syrians were encamped around the city. And often a tactics of those days was, I mean, you could pummel the city walls, and usually the walls were pretty thick, and you could do it for months on end. And sometimes you'd break through and sometimes you wouldn't. But one strategic thing, if they had time up their sleeve, was they could just camp around and block off any water maybe or block off any food supplies so that those inside would be full of fear and intimidation and that they would eventually starve and be too weak to actually fight. It could take weeks. It could take months. It could even take years to actually win that battle. But it was a a strategy one of wearing them out, if you like. And so the people were slowly dying in that city. They had no food. It was getting shorter and shorter. And they were waiting for someone to rise up and rescue them. Isn't that interesting? So here we have these four men sitting by the gate, waiting. Now these weren't ordinary men. They were lepers. They were the lowest of the low. And leprosy is a disease that eats away at the flesh. In fact, what it does is it kills the nervous system and eventually kills them. It's a horrible disease. Who would feed them? Who would look after their needs? Who would carry them? Who would would they look to? Who was going to be their next hero or their provider? In some ways, it's an inaccurate question. It's important that we ask the right questions, and we'll have a look at that soon. See, fear breeds fear. So much so that it paralyzes us instead of moving out, and they are kept contained while we wait for someone or something or someone to rescue us. Waiting for that hero or that superhero or that super pastor or that super anointed one to do something. Man, the whole scene is really much like a picture of the church today, of what we produced. Hidden behind walls and the safety of the walls, peering out occasionally at the enemy who's around us, too fearful to step outside. So we're better to stay inside and camped around us. So they're reliant on a few to feed them. So who is it going to be? Who's going to feed me here this morning? Too fearful to step out. The enemy doesn't have to do anything. They can just sit there and eat and be happy. They just sit there and intimidate. The people begin to turn on each other when they're like that. Living for themselves. And they, as though they are... They're almost in survival mode. You know, survival mode is more like an orphan spirit rather than a son's. It was a breeding ground for orphans. Have you ever seen a ghetto? Have you seen people trying to live from day to day? Trying to steal food here and trying to pinch a bit here and things like that? It's that survival mode. And that's what the church is sort of built in some ways. And even the watchmen on the, on the towers became very blunt in their soul, or dull in their sight, and they've lost their sharpness. And their focus is on the enemy rather than above. You know, I was so encouraged. A couple of, I don't know, about a month ago now, uh, some of the prayer people met in this church And it was so fantastic. We'd all have different areas that we're praying for. But, you know, when we came together, there was a sharpness about what they were seeing. And it was almost like we were seeing the same picture 
And just read it as something in here. And it says something about this church, that the watchmen have to be sharp in what they see. You have to see above and not down below. It was a stalemate. And we can have spiritual stalemates. We're all waiting for someone to do something. Isn't that interesting? That's what the church is. So we sit and we wait. But I love this. In verse 1, the word of the Lord is issued forth. And often the word of God declares God's intent before he moves. God will often reveal something through his word before he moves. Or he will speak it out and it will come into being. The word of God is not dormant. It is constantly here. Be outworked before our eyes, but often we can't see it with our natural eyes. There's something in all of us that want to see what God is doing physically. But in actual fact, in this move, God is doing more about the internal workings of our heart, which can't be seen often. Not to begin with. But when people's lives begin to radically change, then they notice something. But we're wanting to see, well, well where's the huge crowds? And, and, and where's the, the big programs? And where's this and where's that? We're looking for all these external things rather than what's God doing in here. It's far deeper. It's far greater. In the natural, nothing may seem to be happening, but God is working in a far deeper thing in our hearts. You know, there's been a number of incredible prophetic words in this house. Already, I mean, we've been here about two years and there's been very significant words spoken. Those words are alive in this church today. And often I will pray over them because I know God's word does not return to him empty, but accomplishes what he desires and achieves the purpose for which he sent it and has come into this church for a reason, those words. And God's word here was spoken over this whole situation. Let's return to the four men who are sitting there. And there are three things that I just want to quickly look at today. Three things. The first thing is their positioning. Now, as you can see there, most of you probably can't even see them. Is that right? They're hidden from you. That's interesting. Now, they can't see you either. They can see the first few front rows, but from their perspective, they can't see much at all. It's quite significant, really, when you think about it. They can't see because... Now, their positioning... Now, an orphan spirit says, well, what's my position? What's my role? What's my title? What's my job? Rather than, we're not talking about the physical things like that. We're talking about a positioning in your heart. Where are you positioned in your heart? What's happening here? Guess where they were, though, sitting physically, though? They were sitting in the gates. Very, very significant. Why were they? Why is it very significant in the gates? In the gates was often a place where kings and rulers or elders sat to make judgments, to to dec- make decrees, to to um, uh, make de- important decisions. It was a place of of business transactions that took place. It was a very important place. The gates. It was a place of governance and of power. Isn't that significant? And they were sitting in it. Did they realize? What about you? What about us? What about me? Do we realize where we are sitting? 
This was no ordinary place. Yet so often we miss seeing the significance of where we already are. And so what we do is to try and find our significance, we try and, maybe we've got to travel thousands of miles to try and find ourselves. Or maybe we've got to go here to get better understanding or go to Bible college. There's nothing wrong with Bible college. But we try and go somewhere else to try and get what we're looking for. And we don't even realize that we're already there. And often we overlook where we're seated. As sons and daughters in this kingdom... It says, where are we seated? In heavenly places. In heavenly places. Wow, did you know that? We're already seated there. But we're so looking out there for something else, but we're already there. It's a different perspective seeing with spiritual eyes. When we need to begin to see something that is transacting in the spirit and declaring God's intent, God, sorry, when we see from God's perspective, we can then declare in those places of sitting in the gates, we can declare God's intent with power and authority because you're a son and a daughter. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, Romans 4.17. So we're declaring those things that don't exist as though they are. That's a son and a daughter. And the son and daughter has the privilege to declare what we see our father doing. We call out what God is saying. So where are we seated right now? Are we seated in the seat of fear and intimidation? Or are we seating, seated in the, the seat of unbelief? And the thing of, well, God can't really change me. God can never use me. That's a seat that we've got to get rid of. Because God can use you. And I had, I struggled with a lot with, you know, with a lot of inferiority and all sorts of things. I know what it's like to be in that position. And God had to break that off my life for me to see differently. You know, the difference that made it, the biggest difference of all was knowing his love and his acceptance. It made a huge difference. The second thing they did was they asked a question. They asked the right question. Notice they didn't blame each other. It's your fault. It's their fault. You know, they didn't point the finger. Or it's Greg's fault that I'm not being fed. It's Kirk's fault. It's, it's Mel's fault. It's, it's Simon's fault. It's my neighbor's fault. It's the cat's fault. It's the dog's fault. It's the government's fault. You know, we can blame everybody we like. But they never asked that. They actually asked a question that actually changed them. You see, an orphan spirit will always look for someone else to blame for their position. However, we fail to look at ourselves and take ownership for the lack of growth or fruit in our own lives. Greg is not responsible for my growth. I've got to be responsible. I could try and suck on the Greg and suck all the life out of him and never grow myself, but drain him. But I'm responsible to grow myself and to be nurtured. These men simply came to a place of recognizing that they needed to change what they were doing. And my life changed when I realized I needed to change. Who's seen the, the film Groundhog Day? 
It's an old film now. Do you remember that? He woke up at a certain time in the morning and he went through a whole day. And when he got to the end of the day, he went back to sleep and he woke up the same morning. And he went through the exact the same day. And he realized he could change certain things through the day. But whatever happened at the end of the day, he started right back again. And it went round and round and round and round. And we can get in the same position of living in a rut right the way through and never doing anything apart from living in that rut. We long for change, but we're too afraid to step out into the new because of the what if. And there's a lot of what ifs sometimes around our lives. You know, I'm, I'm learning that our Heavenly Father has the best for us and therefore I have to entrust Him with my life. However, these men ask themselves a very simple but truth-telling question. Why are we sitting here until we die? Everyone else was doing something else, I suppose. In fact, they weren't doing. They were also sitting, but they were inside the walls. They were doing exactly the same. And we can just try and follow the crowd. You never follow the crowd. You follow what God's doing. Crowds will follow the wind. But what's God doing? By asking the right question, it slowly began to open their eyes to a new reality. They were faced with three choices. One, if they stayed where they were, they would die. If they went into the camp or into the safety of the walls, they would also die. There's no life there. It's a bit sad, isn't it? But if they advanced, they could either live or die. Not the brightest of futures, but here. This is what I want you to listen for. They had to be prepared to lose their life in order to find it. For us to find our life, sometimes we have to be prepared to lose our life. That's a kingdom principle. It's the opposite to the world. Are you prepared to lose your life? To gain so much more? Or do we want to hold on to what we've got? But if we stay there, we will die. It's a bit of a sobering thought, really, isn't it? So an orphan spirit will hold on to what they have in fear of losing it all. But in order for us to receive the inheritance God has for us, we have to learn to lay it down. You know, years ago, Sandra and I ran uh, a group called Karis Ministries. And it was a chamber sort of uh, group and uh, we had a, a dancer in there, or a couple of dancers, and, and some did drama and all that sort of thing. And it was made up of, I mean, we were classical musicians and things like that, and we had a singer, and, and we did all sorts of things. There was about 10 to 15, very depending on the, on the churches that we were going to and things like that. And we were ministering around the place, and that was a lot of fun. That was our dream. This was our big thing. And so this was getting more and more uh, popular, and, and, and people were, were, you know, offers were pouring in. And one day we had an offer to make a, a recording with a very well-known Christian artist in New Zealand. And it was going to cost a lot of money and things like that. And they were going to do all the finances and everything for us. This was our big chance. This was our, the highlight, you know what I mean, what we were doing. And as, and as we were praying through that and quite a few other offers of what that we'd been given, we were praying, God, which one do you want us to take? And God simply said these words, are you prepared to lay it down? But, but, but God, we're not praying that. 
We're not praying it. Can't you see what we're asking for? Isn't it funny how God will, sometimes you ask him a question and he answers with a question? (laughs) (laughs) But it was true. Are you prepared to lay it down? We struggle with this for a week or a couple of weeks. And finally, out of that struggle, we laid it down. A lot of people didn't understand why. You're turning down all these things. You're mad. You know, God's not in that. But we knew God was. It was hard. We were broken on the inside. But you know, over that period of two or three weeks, God revealed something to us that we'd never seen before. It had become very charis-centered rather than Christ-centered. We'd lost focus. We'd got our dream as on a pedestal, and that was what we were going for, and yet we'd lost what God wanted to do. And by laying it down, it felt, it felt awful in some ways, and yet I'm so relieved we did it. I hate to think where we'd be now if we hadn't. You know, I want to build something in the kingdom that's going to last. I want to do what he wants. And you know, my dreams are fulfilled in doing that. And God has actually fulfilled more in us laying it down than if we'd ever held on to something. I mean, it may have entertained a lot of people, but it wouldn't have shifted them in the spirit. I'm not prepared to play around. I want what God has. And you know, it felt raw on the inside. It felt we were misunderstood. A lot of people talked against us and everything like that. But you know what? I'm just so thrilled that God got a hold of my life. And he can get a hold of your life. It's like Moses had a stick in his hand. And God asked him to chuck that stick on the ground. And then to pick it up in a different way. You know, sometimes our dreams, which God gives them to us, we sometimes need to lay them down so that we pick them up in the way God wants us to pick them up. Because that's when the power comes. Not when we try and do it in our own strength. That stick that Moses had, if he hadn't done that, would have had no power at all. When he'd laid it down, and later he picked it up in God's time in God's way, it parted the seas. It poured forth water out of a rock. It did so many things. What have you got that God's wanting you to lay down so that you can pick it up again in a fresh way? Or do we want to hold on to it and stifle it? Anyone? Note this very quickly too. They started asking each other the questions. All four of them were sitting there asking each other the questions. Now, the thing is that we, we shouldn't have to try and walk this walk alone. But that's why it's so important to ask each other the right questions. Hey, what are you learning? You know, Greg was talking about this and this and this. I, I, I can understand this, but I'm not so sure about this. Can you help me through this? Talking, dialoguing, see? Working it through. Ah, now I see. You see how we talk? They were talking amongst themselves. And we need to talk amongst ourselves to grow and to help each other so that we're not alone. They're asking the same question. And God has so much more for us to receive. I mean, when we look at our lives, are we the same that we were six months ago or a year ago or 20 years ago? What's our position? Lastly, their posture. Their posture, they were sitting, not going anywhere fast. 
And over time, if they stay there, the cycle gets deeper and deeper and harder to break. And you can't, as I said, you can't see much from their position. They can't see much at all. So how did they do it? Now, they did something so amazing and yet so simple. You know what they did? They stood up. They didn't have to go to Bible college for learning how to stand up. They didn't have to travel overseas to learn how to stand up. They simply stood up. They changed their posture. You have to have, you can have an internal position of standing up. Something standing up in your spirit man that is activated by the spirit of God that stands up. That changes everything from the inside out. You can tell when people are bowed down with fear and worry, but you can also tell people who are confident in the Spirit and who they are in God. They walk differently. They talk differently. There's everything about them because they carry the kingdom. They carry something that's different. We get so caught up in the trap of having to do something that we fail to understand what God is working in our hearts internally. See, it's not about having to do something It's about our state of being. It's the change in here that's important. Our beings are changed when we stand up on the inside. It's an inside change where the internal structures of our lives are being adjusted and changed and straightened so that we can stand up tall and strong. And God made me for who I was. And my posture changed when I came into that reality of who I was. No, it wasn't just one of them that stood up. They all, four of them, helped each other up. They, we need each other to help each other to stand up. We need to be able to get alongside and lift them up. How about we get alongside each other and lift each other up? What a difference that is. Now look at this. What a significance it is. As soon as they stood up, something powerful transacted in the heavenly realm that caused the enemy to hear a new sound. Look at this. When one man stood up, the enemy suddenly heard what? They heard the sound of chariots. And when he got through and he helped this one up here, suddenly they heard the sound of horses running as well. And when suddenly they helped these ones up here and these two got up and stood up, suddenly they heard a whole army. Isn't that awesome? Just by standing up. Just by standing up. Now these four people, they didn't hear anything or they didn't see anything. But in the spiritual realm, The army, the enemy heard something. Sometimes we must not underestimate what happens when you stand up spiritually. Look at what they can see now. Can everybody see them? And they can see you. Because they've stood up, they can see more. And when we stand up spiritually, we see more in the spiritual realm than we've ever seen before. Let's give them a clap. Thank you very much, everybody. Never underestimate what God is doing. But just wait one minute. They're only lepers. 
They're nobodies. They're the lowest of the low, you might say. Not these people here. I, I want to make sure you understand. Not these people here. But these four lepers, they were nobodies. They weren't educated. Well, they may have been educated, you just don't know, but they were full of disease, full of things that we wouldn't even look upon. Never underestimate who God raises up. And it wasn't just one person. God's actually raising up a body of people, not an individual, a body of people. They had no title, they had no position, but God is raising up a body. And you are part of that body here. Look at the person to the right and to the left of you. You are amazing in God. You are champions in God. God's given you all the power and the life that you need. He's given you love. He's given you acceptance. You are loved. You are accepted. You are part of this community, this body, to rise up in your spirit man. We often look at ourselves and think, what, me? What, him? Look at yourself differently because that's what God wants to break that orphan thing off your spirit so that you know who you are and you can rise up in your spirit as a son and as a daughter. As I said, Greg's not the one that we should be relying on to change us. We've got to take that responsibility. We have to begin to engage in that process. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to have a title. You don't have to have a position to rise up in your spirit man. Wherever you are placed, and you're placed significantly and strategically in this church, to rise up in here as we join together. We're all sons and daughters in this house. And when we help to bring each other, we, when we help each other, there's something very powerful that happens. You see, when we all rise up, strongholds are broken, deep inner healings take place, life begins to flow, sight begins to come. We all begin to see from a different perspective. I love that, but they rose at twilight, a new day. This is a new day for us as a congregation. Amen? Amen. A new day. Well, I wonder if the musicians have come. You know, because they stood up, then they had the courage and the sight to step forward. You know, an entire city was released. An entire city was released from the bondage of that famine of what they had. What happens when we stand up? There's an entire city out there. Have you ever thought about that? Just by standing up in here. That's God's desire for you, to see the enemy that's trying to intimidate us broken. I want to play you, and I want to end with this clip. It's about a, a gridiron player. Um, I'm not a huge fan of gridiron, but it's uh, what the Americans like. But it's an incredible story of one guy who was a big guy, but he was full of, I suppose, fear and intimidation. He allowed people to get around him. But there was one thing that he actually loved to do. Well, not loved. It was an instinct. 
was to protect his family. And when he felt this team was a family, suddenly he rose up and he played like he never played before. And I want you to see what he did with the person who tried to intimidate him. I wonder if we could play this, please. You get another 15. This young man plays for my team. My team. And I will defend him like he's my own son against you or any other redneck son of a bitch. Don't worry, Coach. I got you, babe. Come here, son. Come here. Try gap. Gap? Gap. All right. Gun rip. 47 gap. All one on one. Ready? All right. Coach ain't here to protect it now, is he? Ready? This team is your family, Michael. That's the only way to deal with a new enemy that intimidates you. <laughs> Take him right out of the park. <laughs> I just want us to, what I've really felt on my heart is that God really wants to do something very serious here. We're talking about sonship. We're talking about those things that we have to, you know, the orphan thing that breaks us, that, that holds us back, sorry, we have to stand up in our spirit and know who we are in Christ. And that's a very significant thing. I feel in my spirit today 
And even in the prayer when I was praying, I saw like a thin layer of concrete, which was like a layer in front of us. But I saw this, these seeds underneath breaking through the concrete as the seed broke forth. And I see it spiritually in this place today. That as you stand up, it's like a seed in you beginning to break through the ceiling that was over your life. The, the restrictions that you had over there. And God wants to do business here today. He wants to break you out of where you are. So I want you where you are. To, if you feel you need to stand, I want you to come to your feet. And I want to pray for you where you are standing. The thing is that we need to understand that it's okay to feel like that. Because I've been there and sometimes I fluctuate in and out, as I've said. But we've got to learn to grab hold of that enemy and chuck him off the fence. So today, if God is speaking with, to you, I want you to stand to your feet. Because God wants to do something very significantly over your life right now. Stand to your feet. Thank you.